It is a privilege to ask you to open your Bible to 2 Timothy 3.16. And while you turn there, let me tell you a little bit about how God has used those three words to change my life. So we started coming here, my family started coming here when I was a junior at Penn High School. I was 16 years old, we were Harvest Bible Chapel, we were meeting in the gym. And when we came here, I, I would have considered uh, myself to be a, a pretty good Christian. I read my Bible consistently, I prayed consistently, I had a good relationship with my parents. I, I really tried to follow the Lord at Penn. But it wasn't until we started coming here that I realized that I was, I was kind of following the Lord for the wrong reasons. I was convinced that following God was what was best for me, that obeying God was what was best for me. But when Pastor Trent told me to open my Bible and then preach the word unapologetically, he just changed my worldview. He helped me see this life is not about me. This night life is not about little Mitch. This life is about God. This life is about King Jesus. And it changed my life so much that I wanted to go to seminary so that I could tell other people to open their Bible and help them see what life was all about. And so when I went to seminary, I met my beautiful wife, Alicia, where, as you can see, we are expecting our first in July. We're going to make your children's ministry director a grandma. So we are very excited about that, and I'm so thankful for her. I'm so thankful to be on staff here. It's a privilege to be Pastor Trent's assistant. It's a privilege to open God's word with you today. And all that to say, I am so glad that Pastor Trent told 16-year-old Mitch to open his Bible. So as we open our Bibles today, we're going to turn to 2 Timothy 3.16. And as you know, we've been in uh, 2 Timothy for 12 weeks now, and Pastor Trent and Pastor Micah have been preaching God's word faithfully, helping us to consider what Paul has told Timothy, that Timothy needs to fan his flame. Paul is passing his, the baton of his ministry off to Timothy. And Timothy, because Paul is in prison, Paul is about to be executed, but Paul need, knows there's still a lot of work to do to advance the Great Commission. The problem is, Timothy has a lot of opposition. There's mass persecution has broken out across the Roman Empire because of the Emperor Nero. Many Christians are being killed, many Christians are being imprisoned, like the Apostle Paul, and Timothy has to know, knows that he could be next any day. Not only is there persecution from the world, there's lots of false teaching in the church. There's lots of brutal lovers of self who appear to be godly, but really are just lovers of themselves and want people to follow them and not the Lord. So Timothy has a really hard task. Paul has given him a really hard mission. But as we started to see last week, God has given Timothy everything he needs to fan his flame. And the reason that's true is because God has given him his word. So today we're going to open up to 2 Timothy, hear the, hear the word of the Lord. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Now this is the most important passage in the book of 2 Timothy. It's one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. So we're gonna pause these next three weeks and spend the next three weeks just in these two verses. And today we're gonna to spend our, our whole sermon just in the first seven words of this passage. All scripture is breathed out by God. So we're gonna talk about that because we, we often refer to this as the word of God, but sometimes that can just be a title, like the title for the book. But we're, we're gonna pause and consider that God has spoken. God has given us his word. The eternal God of the universe 
has spoken. And we know what he says, because we have it here in, the, in his word. So we're gonna consider what that means for the purpose of stirring our affections so that we would love our Bibles and know our Bibles so that we can know and love and obey our God. We're gonna do that in two different ways. We're gonna pause and we're gonna dive into this, these seven words, consider what Paul means when he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. And then we're gonna explore the many implications. We're gonna explore just a few of them, but we're gonna explore the implications that that has for how we read the rest of the Bible. So let's dive in. And if I had to sum up what Paul means when he says all scripture is God breathed, he means that every word, every word in the Bible is God's word, every word. So first let's consider what Paul means when he says all scripture. Now, last week you might remember that Paul was telling Timothy that he was reminding him, you have been acquainted with the Holy Scriptures since you were young, since you were, uh, with the sacred writings since you were young. And now the New Testament hadn't been written when Timothy was young. The sacred writings was a specific term to refer to the Old Testament. And so there's a reason Paul uses a different term here. Rather than referring to the sacred writings, he's talking about scripture because he doesn't just mean the, New, the Old Testament. He means the New Testament as well. Even though the entire New Testament hadn't been written when Timothy wrote this, there's a lot of evidence within scripture to, or within the New Testament to help us understand that when the New Testament authors were writing scripture, they knew that what they were writing was God's word. They knew that what they were writing was scripture. So just a couple examples of that. First Timothy chapter five, verse 18, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy, and then he quotes from the gospel of Luke right after it, and he calls both of them scripture. Another example, second Peter chapter three, verses 15 and 16, Peter is referring to Paul's letters as scripture. And that's where the part where he said Paul's letters are, can be a little hard to understand. But Timothy, so both Paul referred to the Gospel of Luke as scripture, Peter referred to all of Paul's letters as scripture. There's a lot of reason to believe that when, Tim, when Paul said all scripture is God breathed, he means the Old and the New Testament. Now let's consider what he means when Paul says is breathed out by God. That's kind of a, a funny way to put it. That's not, we don't usually talk like that. But what Paul is talking about is he's talking about scripture and scripture is made up of words. So let's just think for a second, how do we form words? How do we make words? So right now I'm using my mouth, I'm opening my mouth, I'm using my tongue. But the one essential component to make words that we don't often think about is the necessity of wind or the necessity of breath. And so the reason that you can hear what I'm saying is because wind is going over my vocal cords so that you can hear the words coming out of my mouth. So just, just try it. Turn to your neighbor and try to say something without any wind coming out of your mouth. Turn and see if you can do it. You can't do it, huh? And if you're thinking to yourself, my neighbor needs a Tic Tac, that means they failed. That means breath came out of their mouth. So you cannot speak without using breath. That's how you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth. And so Paul is making the point of the origin of these words. Who spoke these words? How do we have these words in the Bible? And the breath, your breath is something that comes from within you. Your breath is from your very core. And so, God, so Tim, or Paul is talking about these words, these words that are breathed, these words that we have 
are God's words. These words come from the living God. And so now, most of, uh, yeah, so just another way to think about it, think about back into creation. Think about before there was anything. There was nothing. And then God spoke. And creation came to be. The universe came to be. So God spoke, and he created the universe. So it is with God's word. Before God spoke, before God breathed, there was nothing. And then God breathed, and scripture came to be. These are the very words of the living God. Now, some of your translations might say inspired. They might say this is all scripture is inspired by God. And so this is a foundational verse from, for where we get the doctrine of the inspiration of scripture. Now, we've been reading about a lot of false teachers here in 2 Timothy. There's a lot of false teachers that would like to suggest a lot of errant views of the inspiration of scripture. They might try to convince you to believe that just some of the ideas of scripture are inspired, or some of the words, but not all of the words. But here at Gospel City, we believe firmly in the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture. The verbal plenary inspiration of scripture. Now that's, that's kind of a big term, so let's break it down. By verbal, we mean word, every word. So the words, the very words, not the ideas, not just the concepts, not just the thoughts. The very words are God's words. And then by, by plenary, we mean full, we mean all. We mean every word, not just some of the words. And then let's dive into what we mean by the word inspiration. What, is, what do we mean when we say the scriptures are inspired by God? Because when we hear that word, we need to be careful. Our culture uses the word inspired to mean two different things. So imagine if I'm a couch potato. Imagine if I'm on the couch and I just am eating my potato chips and I haven't worked out in months and I really need to work out. And I know none of you can relate to this, but what do I need? What do I need to get off the couch into the gym? I need some inspiration, I need some motivation, I need to get, I need to be inspired, I need a reason to get off the couch and into the gym. Now that is not what we mean when we use the word inspired. It's not like some religious men were sitting around and they had some thoughts about God, they had some ideas, and then God just gave them some motivation to write. They didn't just give them a spiritual nudge to write down what they were thinking. What we mean is that every word is from God. Every word is God's word. And so there's another way that our culture uses the word inspiration. So the, the Latin root of that word is spire, and spire shows up in a lot of the words that we use. Spire is Latin for breath. So if you think about the word respiration, that's like the act of breathing. If you think of perspire, that means your skin is breathing. If you think of the word conspire, that means a bunch of people are together and whispering about something else. Their much breath is coming out of them. They're conspiring. If you think about expire, that means they stop breathing. So when we say inspire, we mean breathe out or breathe, God breathe the words. So all that to say, we believe that every word is God's word. Every word is from God. It's not just the ideas, it's not just the thoughts. Every word is from the living God. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, I thought that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. Why does 
First chapter one, verse one say, I, Paul, write to you, Timothy. Now that's a good question. We can consider how this inspiration worked. It's not like God breathed the words and then the scriptures, the authors of scripture were blindfolded and had nothing to say with how the words came to be. But Peter really helps us, under, helps us understand the process in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, where he says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the way the doctrine of inspiration works, or the way that it works, is that God allowed somehow, in a, a mysterious way, he allowed, allowed all the authors of scripture to have their own personalities and their own education levels and their own backgrounds and their own vocabulary come out when they spoke or when they wrote but at the same time, every word that was written was the word that the men wanted to write, and it was the exact word that God wanted them to write. So every word is God's word. Every word that we have in our scriptures is from the living God. Now can we just pause and consider what a gift it is to have the word of God? I don't know what you came in here today with. I don't know what burdens you carried in here. I don't know, it's for some of us, 2020 feels like it still hasn't ended. For others of us, we've come in here with, with, because we're hurting in our marriages. We're hurting because our kids don't believe the words in this book. We're hurting because we feel lonely. We're hurting, this life has many reasons that we can be hurting. But I want to remind you, I want to encourage you that you are not alone. The God of the universe has spoken. The God of the universe has something to say about whatever you're going through right now. So let's just pause and remember that the God of the universe has spoken to us. What a gift, what a treasure, what a blessing. God has spoken. Now, it's quite a claim. It's quite, it's quite a claim to say that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's, it's quite a claim to say that every word is God's word. So let's explore some of the implications of what this doctrine of inspiration means. So the first one that I would point you to is because every word of scripture is God's word, that means that every word is essential. Now, you and I, we speak a lot of words. We speak a lot of words that aren't essential. On average, about people speak about 7,000 words per day. And if I had to guess, you probably can't even remember most of the words you spoke just yesterday. Some of the words we speak are essential. Some words you'll never forget. I will never forget when I said I do to my wife, Alicia. Those words were essential. But a lot of words, 7,000 words a day, most of the words I say are not essential. And sometimes we can approach the scriptures as if some words are essential and some words aren't. I think we can all, we can all agree that John 3.16 is essential, that the book of Romans is essential. But do we believe Leviticus is essential? Do we believe Nahum? Do we even know that's a book in the Bible? Nahum? Do we believe that's essential? Do, what about the letter to Philemon? Is Philemon essential? Now, you, I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, well, Mitch, the Bible is a big book. That's like the biggest book I own. And I get that. The, big, the Bible is a big book. But let me try to make it a little smaller for you. So if we consider what the Bible is, the Bible is the revelation of the infinite God. 
God is revealing himself to us. And the fact that God is infinite, the fact that God is eternal, means that he has an infinite amount of things that he could have said to us. Yet the Bible is finite. The Bible is not infinite. If, the, if God revealed everything he, ha, he could reveal about himself, all the world could not contain all the books that would need to be written. John said that just about what Jesus did while he was on earth, let alone the infinite God. Not only is the Bible revealing the infinite God, the Bible is summing up thousands of years of history. If you had to think of just about how to sum up what happened in your life over the last week, It'd be, it would be pretty long. It, it, would, it, would, it would not be easy. But the Bible is summing up thousands of years of history, revealing an infinite God, talking about the most important things in the universe. So when we consider it that way, the Bible is actually very concise. If you look, at the, if you look in the Gospels, the most important event to ever happen in the history of the world, the crucifixion, it takes one verse in all four Gospels, one verse to describe that. He was crucified, period. Now obviously there's some verses before and after to describe the event, but it takes one verse to describe the most important event in the history of the world. So all that to say, the Bible is, is actually very concise and God is very intentional about every word he uses to reveal to us. He could have revealed a lot of things, yet he chose to reveal a finite number of words. If you look in your ESV translation, you have about, it's about 750,000 words. Now if God were to speak at the same pace that you and I do, that would take him about 100 days to speak all those words. And that's not why we have you read the Bible in 100 days, that's just a coincidence. But the point is, if you've been speaking for more than four months, you've said a lot more than what God has recorded for us in his word. So we actually have a very finite number of words about our infinite God. So let's not be content just knowing a few of our favorite passages. Let's not be content by just having a few pastors tell us to believe what we should believe about the rest. We need to spend the next 100 days diving into every word of God-breathed scripture in the New Testament, and then we ought to spend the rest of our lives studying and cherishing and treasuring every word that God has given us. Number two, because every word of scripture is God's word, that means every word is grace. Now, it is essential for us to know every word that God has said. It was not essential for God to say every word that he has said. God would have been perfectly just creating the universe and then leaving us in the dark about who created us, why we're here, why we exist, what happens to us when we die. But God, in his infinite mercy and grace, has spoken. And he hasn't just spoken a bunch of gibberish, he's spoken about the most important things that we could possibly ask about the universe. We could, he has spoken about the most important things that we could possibly ask about our lives. He has revealed himself, he has revealed the most important things that we could possibly know. So let's just consider some of the things that he has revealed. Pastor Trent touched on this a little bit last week. We could, if God had not spoken, we would, we would know that God exists we would have an idea because of our conscience that there's a moral code built into the fabric of the universe. But other than that, we would not know much about God. 
But because God has spoken, we know that there is one God, creator supreme. We know that because God has spoken. That is grace. We know that we, that all the pain in the world, all the suffering in the world is because of sin. We know that because God has spoken. That is grace. We know that we are created in the image of the infinite, eternal, loving God. We know that we have dignity and purpose and that we are different than the animals because we are created in his image, because God has spoken. That is grace. The fact that we know that this eternal God who numbers the stars wants to know you and does know you and knows every hair on your head, we know that because God has spoken. That is grace. The fact that we know what will happen to us when we die is because God has spoken. That is grace. The fact that we know the name of Jesus, can you imagine going your entire life never knowing the name of Jesus? The name under heaven, but the only name that we can be saved under heaven? We know the name of Jesus because God has spoken. That is grace. That's why the Apostle Paul, every single one of his letters, he starts by saying, grace to you. And then every word that follows is grace because God has spoken. Every word of Romans is grace. Every word of 1 Corinthians is grace. Every word of Nahum is grace. Do we cherish the word of God? Do we believe Every word is grace because all scripture is God-breathed. Every word is God's word. Every word is grace. The third implication of the inspiration of scripture, because every word is God's word, that means that every word is trustworthy. Now, I'm really thankful for the iPhone, the new feature that blocks unknown spam callers. They give me a warning so I don't have to answer all these unknown, unknown numbers. But somehow, they still leave me a voicemail. And sometimes I just, I'll listen to the voicemail to see what they said. And it's always either really good news or really bad news. <laughs> the bad news is, hey, your credit card's been stolen. You need to call me back right now. The, the good news for people like my, my age, they call me and they're like, hey, good news, if you give me a call back, your student loans can be paid off. Now, both of those things would be really, or that, that's, a, that's a big deal. That's something that I should pay attention to. Except for the fact that I never call those people back. Why? Because I don't trust the messenger. I don't trust the one who spoke those words because my iPhone told me it's a spam caller. So, if we think about every word in this book, this book makes some crazy claims. This book says, has some really bad news. This book has some really good news. But the fact that we believe it is not because of the, what it says. The fact is we believe it is because of who said it. The message is trustworthy because the messenger is trustworthy. The eternal God of the universe spoke these words, the God who never lies, the God who cannot deny himself, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever spoke these words. Therefore, every word is trustworthy. So just consider some of the bad news. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death. Not, you know, you get a slap on the wrist. 
The wages of sin, one sin, is death. And the news gets worse. It says, all have sinned. That all includes me. That all includes you. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, all have a wage of death that we owe. But it's not just full of bad news, it's full of some wonderful news. The Bible says in Psalm 25 that all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Do you believe that? God spoke those words. 2020-20, that is a path of the steadfast love of the Lord. All the paths of the Lord, every single event in your life, if you obey his covenant, if you fear the Lord. Now, Lamentations 3 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Anybody need some mercy this morning? Well, you got some because God said those words. God said those words. Matthew 6 says that you do not need to be anxious about anything. Anybody come in here with some anxiety? I did. But I don't need to be, because God spoke those words. God spoke those words. John 1 says that the incarnate God of the universe, or the God of the universe became flesh and dwelt among us. Can you believe that God would stoop down from heaven and become man? God spoke those words. 1 Corinthians 15 says that that, God, that man didn't just come and live in a palace. He came and died and then rose again. And Romans 10.9 says that if you have faith and believe that Jesus died and rose again, you too will be risen with him. If you confess with your heart, or if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And then Revelation 21 says you don't just get resurrected and live in limbo. We go to a new heavens and a new earth where there is no more pain and no more crying, no more tears and no more COVID. God spoke those words. Therefore, they are trustworthy. Now, I know that a lot of you have come in here today, and there are some words in this book that are hard to believe. There are some words that are hard to trust. I know Pastor Trent, what he just preached last week, he said that everyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. I have a hard time believing those words. But God spoke those words. Therefore, every word is trustworthy. Now, if I've done my job right and you've done your job right, we are having a renewed sense of appreciation and gratitude and worship because God has spoken. And we will leave here today with a renewed desire to read our Bibles, to know our Bibles so that we can know our God and obey our God. But here's the problem. You're going to maybe even be desired, you might even think that you want to read the 100 days. You come out of here all excited to read the New Testament, and then you open it up to Matthew 1, and it's genealogy. (laughs) And all your good feelings go away. And you remember why it's so hard to read the Bible at times, and why you you try to read these names, you can't even pronounce half of them. You wonder why you need to know these names. So flip to Matthew 1. Let's, let's practice because we don't just need a desire to read the Bible. We need some knowledge for how to read the Bible. So 
So we're, we're just gonna practice our first few days in the 100 days, and I wanna give us some things to keep in mind when we're reading God breathed scripture. Because it, it can be easy to get, to get to this genealogy and wonder, God, how is every single one of these words essential? Well, let's think about it. So here's number one. Read the scriptures conversationally. Now, isn't it frustrating when someone talks to you or when you're talking to someone and you're just pouring your heart out to them and you're really vulnerable and, and, and you really are just kind of laying your heart out and you're, you're talking to them and then they respond and you realize they didn't hear a word you said. I, I, that's frustrating when that happens to me. But if, let's think about the fact that God has spoken. This is God speaking to us. The eternal God of the universe has spoken to us. Now, I often have thought about prayer in the past as kind of like leaving a message. So I would, I would read the Bible, I'd kind of have these, okay, God, those, uh, that's a good word. And then I'd close my Bible and I'd pray, and what I would say would have nothing to do with what I just read. And so I would pray, and I, you know, if I'm like leaving a message, I'd say, dear God, and then I'd think about the things that I had to say, um, and then I'd kind of run out of things to say. I'd, I would you know, give him a few requests, but I didn't really expect him to respond because he hadn't really responded that much to me in the past like that. I, I know he, he does answer prayer, and I would look for the answers to prayer in my life, but I wasn't expecting him to speak back in the moment when I was praying. So I would pray a couple minutes and then I'd run out of things to say and then I'd say amen or goodbye and then I'd hang up and then I'd go about my day. But the reason that Pastor Trent, the reason that Gospel City encourages you to pray with an open Bible is because God is answering. God is speaking. This phone is ringing. He has spoken. And therefore we need to respond to what he said. Our prayer should be responding to what he says, not just having him talk and then we talk about whatever we want to talk about. So let's practice this in Matthew 1. Let's practice reading the Bible conversationally as if we believe, because we believe that God is speaking these words to us. And remember 2 Timothy 3.16 says is, is breathed out by God. It's not was, this Bible is, is, is living and active. God is speaking these words. So. Let's say we're reading this genealogy and we see Abraham. And we think, okay, God, I believe every word is essential. I believe every word is grace. So why do, why did you, why do I need to know about Abraham? And then you start thinking about Abraham and remember that his marriage was pretty messed up. He, he wasn't the best husband at times. And then you, you start thinking, well, I'm, I'm not the best husband at times. Huh, I wonder what, if Abraham's experience has anything to do with my experience. And then you keep reading, you keep praying, and you believe that the same Holy Spirit who inspired these words on this page is also in you. And so when you pray, you ask, Lord, help me believe, I, I, I believe, help my unbelief, help me to see why you wrote these words. And you get to Rahab, and you realize, huh, Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was sexually broken. And you think about your sexual brokenness. And you think about how things you've done or maybe have done, have, had happened to you, you wouldn't, even, you wouldn't want anyone to know. Yet God knew what Rahab did, and God still used her. 
So you're thinking the Holy Spirit is responding to your thoughts, and you get to David, and you realize, well, David, David was a man after God's own heart. Could I ever be a man after God's own heart? Well, then you realize, well, David actually had a lot of rebellious kids. David led a mutiny, or David's kids led a mutiny against David and his kingdom. And you start to realize that these are not just some high and exalted saints. These are a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners, like you and me. And then you get to verse 17, and you realize that these people, these dirty, rotten sinners, are in God's family. The reason, we have, the reason God has recorded these names for us, the reason why everyone is essential, is because we're seeing that God, in his mercy and grace, allowed every single one of these dirty, rotten sinners to be in the family of Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit reminds you, wow, I too can be in the family of Jesus. I too can be adopted into the family of God. Even though I am a sinner, Christ died for me. And then before you know it, you're worshiping and thanking the Lord that you can be adopted into his family, even though you're a dirty, rotten sinner, and you're worshiping because of a genealogy. So we need to believe, if, if God has spoken, we need to re- respond back to him. And the Holy Spirit who is in you will help you understand why God chose every word why God breathed every word. Number two, the next thing we should consider is we need to read the Bible every day, even when we don't feel like it. So I get it, we we read the Bible once and it's good, it's really important, it feels good, but it's it's really tempting to, to not read the Bible the next day. It's really hard to read it consistently. There's just, life is busy, life is hard, there's so many things that we could be doing. So we just, we're, we're just tempted to not Read the Bible every day. It's really easy. Well, if you, if you look and you turn to Matthew 4, you see how Jesus overcame temptation. Jesus overcame temptation with the Word, with the Bible. The Word, the incarnate Word, quoting Scripture. If Jesus needs the Word to overcome temptation, how much more do we? So let's consider the first thing he says. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, it's a pretty common analogy that we are familiar with, that the Bible is like our spiritual, our daily bread. The Bible is like spiritual food, what physical food is to our soul, to to nourish us. We need daily spiritual food. Now, one thing that I want us to understand, because it's so hard to read the Bible consistently, I want to help us understand how our desire for spiritual food works because it's actually the opposite of our desire for physical food. So when, we, when we, we eat physical food, when we feel hungry, we feel it in our stomach, we feel our need for food, and then we stop eating when we're full. We stop eating when we don't desire food anymore. Well, our desire for spiritual food is the opposite. There are people who have never read the Bible, and they have no idea how starving they are, but they don't feel it. They don't have any desire to read the Bible. And sometimes when we aren't reading the Bible, we don't desire to read it. But the way that spiritual food works is the more we read it, the more we desire it. The more we read it, the more we taste and see that it is good. The more we read it, the more we see see that God is revealing himself, the most important thing in the universe. The more we read it, the more we desire it. So when you're not desiring to read the Bible, the most important thing you can do is read the Bible because that will increase your desire to read the Bible. 
So we need to understand, we need to, we need to believe that this is our spiritual food and we need to desire it. And the way we cultivate a desire is by reading it. So we read the Bibles conversationally, we read the scriptures every day, even when we don't feel like it. And the last tip that we'll talk about is we need to read the scriptures looking for Jesus on every page. Some of us are bored with our Bibles because we read our Bibles and we think it's about us. But when we realize that the Bible is about Jesus, that every word is about Jesus, the most beautiful, wonderful, glorious being in the universe, the Bible will not be boring. The Bible will be, you will desire to read your Bible because you see Jesus on every page. And so if you just see in Matthew 5, Jesus says in verse 17, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, I've come to fulfill them. And we see from other places in the scriptures that every word is pointing to Jesus. Every word that God has breathed is so that we may know and love and appreciate Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. Every word is God's word so that we may know our King. Now I've said a lot of words today. I'm well on my way to 7,000. But there's a few words that I really want you to remember. I want you to remember that all scripture is breathed out by God. And therefore every word is God's word. And because every word is God's word, that means every word is essential. Every word is grace. Every word is trustworthy. And it can be hard to read the Bible, but we realize that God has spoken to us, so we need to read the Bible conversationally and speak back to him. It can be hard to desire to read the Bible every day, but when we believe that the Bible is our spiritual food and without it we are starving, we need to read it every day so that we can cultivate a desire to read it. And we need to read it looking for Jesus on every page. This is the word of the Lord. Our God has spoken. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for speaking. I thank you for speaking so that we may know you, so we may know why we exist, so we may know what will happen to us when we die, so that we may know what we ought to do with the gift of life. I pray that you would help Gospel City be a church that knows your word and loves your word and desires to obey you because we know what you have commanded of us. I pray that Gospel City would be a church that reads your word not so that we can see ourselves and feel good about ourselves, but so that we can see and love and behold Jesus. I thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.